Is Biden's Disinformation Governance Board unconstitutional? Mr. Reagan. The thought police would get him all the same. He had committed, would still have committed, even if he had never set pen to paper, the essential crime that contained all others in itself. Thought crime, they called it. Thought crime was not a thing that could be concealed forever. You might dodge successfully for a while, even for years, but sooner or later, they were bound to get you. That is an excerpt from George Orwell's dystopian novel, 1984. For those of you who have been hearing this term dystopian thrown around lately, but you don't know what it means, it's the opposite of utopia. A utopia is an idyllic future, peaceful and happy and perfect. A dystopia, on the other hand, is basically every zombie apocalypse movie. It's Mad Max. It's the future of the Terminator films or the Matrix. This is the future in the novel 1984, but instead of a barren wasteland with zombies or killer robots, this future seems very beautiful and very nice. But that is just a facade. The whole thing is rotten to the core. 1984 presents a future in which the federal government creates the illusion that it loves you and functions to protect you and keep you happy and safe. But in reality, it's merely controlling you, keeping the public blind to the truth, manipulating the populace with lies and often various other kinds of manipulation. George Orwell makes this manipulation almost comically obvious by revealing the three slogans of the party in power. War is peace, freedom is slavery, ignorance is strength. Sort of reminds me of the Democrats' use of terms like inclusion, which essentially means the exclusion of white men. Social justice, for which radical left DAs have simply neglected to prosecute criminals. Progressive, a term used to describe leftists, leftists who have actually reversed most of the actual progress Donald Trump made improving the economy, border security, the military, and the quality of life of most Americans, black, white, male, female, gay, or straight. You see, the authoritarian government in the dystopian novel 1984, they twist words to mean the opposite of their true definition. In the novel, George Orwell calls this doublespeak, and this is precisely what is done today in real life by Democrats. But what's truly bizarre is that within the book 1984, there is a government department called the Ministry of Truth. Now, as you may have guessed, since I told you that their government distorts words to manipulate the populace, the name the Ministry of Truth indicates that this agency is actually the Department of Propaganda. That is, the goal of this particular department is to deceive and manipulate the citizenry. And the reason I mention it, the reason I think that the inclusion of this department within this novel is so bizarre is that the Biden administration just established this very department. Within the government of the USSR, there was a propaganda department called the General Directorate for the Protection of State Secrets in the Press. The title of this department attempted to create the illusion that the purpose of this department was merely to protect government secrets for the protection of the nation against foreign adversaries. Of course, this was a lie. The purpose was to censor any speech the Bolshevik party did not like. This censorship was directed and enforced by the KGB. Well, apparently the Biden administration has been reading up on Russian history because it really looks like they've copied this model exactly. Although I'd like to offer one critical observation, instead of trying to create a benign sounding department name such as, such as the Soviets did, the Biden administration has decided upon the Disinformation Governance Board. <laughs> and, you know, okay, I, I get how they might think that this 
sounds benign, like we just want to make sure that, you know, disinformation, information that is incorrect is governed, it's tamped down, it's muted, it's suppressed, you know, so that good information, the truth, can be more efficiently and effectively communicated. Except every conservative in America knows exactly what they mean when they say disinformation. The word disinformation, as stated by a Democrat, by a Democrat politician or by a left-wing journalist, it simply means a conservative idea. And given the reaction to Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter and his stated intention to allow free speech on the platform, it's clear that their use of the word governance is a thinly veiled reference to censorship. And just as the Russians pretended that they were only trying to stop foreign disinformation, no, 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 they would never, they would never go after their own citizens. In precisely the same way, this Biden administration disinformation governance board has stated that they're only going after foreign disinformation. Yeah, of course they are. Sort of like the foreign disinformation that was Hunter Biden's laptop. Maybe like the Russian disinformation that was basically anything anybody ever said in support of Donald Trump during the 2016 election. Yeah, foreign disinformation. Give me a break. We all know that this so-called disinformation governance board is really Democrat doublespeak for the conservative speech censorship board. That's all this is. It's an official government department dedicated to the censorship of conservative ideas. It's an official government department, the purpose of which is to silence political opposition. And I mean, it's kind of crazy that they'd call it that, given that obviously conservatives are going to associate it with the Ministry of Truth in 1984. But maybe that's what they want. Maybe the absurdly dystopian sounding name for this thing is actually a distraction. You see, what they're doing here is incredibly sinister. And when the government does things that are incredibly sinister, people will usually complain about it. But if they're trying to keep us distracted from what they're doing by directing us toward what they're calling it, well, then we might not notice just how incredibly sinister what they're doing actually is. And what exactly are they doing? Well, nobody knows yet. But I've thought about it, and I think I figured it out. Right, so the Biden administration has created an executive department that is so sinister that you would only ever read about it in a dystopian fiction. And if I'm right, if they chose that name as a distraction, then I think they're really planning to do something quite drastic. There's really only one thing that I can think of, and it's pretty dang scary, guys. Now think about it. They've already been effectively censoring conservative speech for years now through social media, but they've been doing this in secret. So why make something that's been so effective in secret, why make that effort public? I mean, you're gonna make it public just because Elon Musk bought Twitter? Seems a little sus. Well, consider this. They have every major conduit of information in America pumping their ideas out to the public. They've capped off everything. Not a single Republican idea can squeeze through. The few small alternative news sources like Breitbart, Gateway Pundit, Zero Hedge, Newsmax, and Blaze Media, well, they're all basically ignored by Democrat voters. And Democrat voters all seem to think that Fox News is racist and spreads dangerous conspiracy theories and disinformation. And so the left hasn't really had to worry about most voters hearing any conservative ideas for a while now. They control just about every idea Americans have access to. And with that, they can win elections. Except now there's a leak in one of the hoses. 
Twitter being owned by Elon Musk could provide a platform from which Democrat voters might be exposed to conservative ideas. This is a problem. So how does a corrupt leftist regime plug that hole? Regulation. Conservatives have been saying for years now that social media companies need to be regulated in order to force them to allow conservatives to speak freely. And every time a conservative proposes this, leftists laugh at us. These are private companies, they say. They can do whatever they want. But now that one of these companies, Twitter, is owned by somebody who believes in free speech, well now Twitter will no longer censor conservatives. And so this private company is no longer doing what the left wanted to. And so now the left, in a panic, has realized that it does need to regulate these social media companies, not to force them to allow free speech, of course, but rather the opposite. I believe that the Disinformation Governance Board was created very specifically to regulate Twitter, to require the company to continue to censor conservative speech on the platform in the same way that it has been doing for years now. This is an extremely dangerous idea. It very clearly contradicts the values of the nation, the principles of our culture, and the basic human rights of American citizens. And yet, the left does not care about any of that. The gravity of this situation is easy to underestimate, however, and I don't know if this was planned by the puppeteers working behind the scenes of the Biden administration or if it was just a happy accident, but they hired an absolute buffoon to head up this operation. But you know, I don't think that the fact that they gave this thing this Orwellian title and they also hired a TikTok performing clown to head it up, I don't think that these two things are just a coincidence. I am pretty sure that this is a form of misdirection. Look over here at these silly things so that you don't realize that we're stripping away your First Amendment rights. Now, this woman, the new head of the Disinformation Governance Board, her name is Nina Jankowitz. She is a wannabe musical theater actress. No joke. Check this out. It's when a huckster takes some lies and makes them sound precocious by saying them in Congress or a mainstream outlet. So disinformation's origins are slightly less atrocious. It's how you hide a little, hide a little lie. It's how you hide a little, hide a little lie. It's how you hide a little, hide a little lie. When Rudy Giuliani shared bad intel from Ukraine, or when TikTok influencers say COVID can cause pain, they're laundering disinfo when we really should take note and not support their lies with our wallet, voice, or vote. Oh! Now you've probably seen that video. Everybody's posting it on Twitter and and spent on Fox News and stuff like that. But when I saw this, my first thought was, I know people like this. I've worked in Hollywood long enough to have met a ton of people just like her. They're people desperate for attention. They need to be the center of attention all the time. They are addicted to the spotlight. And that's exactly what this woman is. I said as much on Sebastian Gorka's show the other day. But what's funny is that I had not yet seen another video that's been floating around about this chick, a video that Gorka then played for me. Barbara Streisand has it all and I can do what she can do. So why is she rich, famous, and powerful? While I'm still stuck here singing Christmas songs for all of you. That video there says it all. I mean, I know she's trying to be funny, but I don't think this is the kind of comedy that's, it's so not true that it's funny. I think it's the kind of comedy that it's funny because it's so true. And look, this chick is totally unqualified and basically a total joke. And the administration 
keeps insisting that she's, you know, super impressive and totally qualified. And I mean, it's just like obvious that this is not true. I mean, it's strange to me how the Biden administration keeps hiring these infantile weirdos. I mean, I know that we're all pretty convinced that the Democrats are just trying to destroy the country at this point. But even if you want to destroy the country, wouldn't you bring on competent people to help you destroy it? Why bring in dingbats like this? And so that's why my guess is that she she's an intentional distraction. And in fact, it may be that a lot of these unqualified fruitcake Biden appointees are, are just being hired as distractions, maybe. You know, while we're all laughing about how annoying and unqualified Nina Jankowitz is, we're ignoring the fact that the Biden administration is openly violating the First Amendment. Apparently, this Nina Jankowitz wrote a book expressing her belief that conservatives need to be censored. And so she is definitely the quintessential useful idiot. And if I'm right about her being an annoying distraction, She's a perfect useful idiot because there are few people less annoying than an infantile self-absorbed narcissist trying to be a musical theater actor. But we do need to take this disinformation governance board very seriously. Even the fact that they think they can get away with establishing such a board is concerning because, and this is extremely important, it's unconstitutional. And I know I mentioned it a couple of times already, but apparently the Biden administration is not aware of this. There is something in America called the First Amendment. And for a long time, leftists hid behind a loophole in that basic human right enshrined in the Constitution, the loophole that this law only applies to the government, the loophole that facilitates the suppression of political ideas just so long as it's done by a private company, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Of course, this loophole disappears if the government is in any way influencing a company regarding speech censorship, something Jen Psaki has admitted to. In terms of actions, Alex, that uh, we have taken or we're working to take, I should say, from the federal government, we're flagging problematic posts for Facebook uh, that spread disinformation. And yet, inconceivably, still nothing has been done about the administration's obvious violation of the First Amendment here. And I guess that has emboldened the Biden administration because now they've done something that is so outrageously illegal that as far as I'm concerned, this is an impeachable offense. No government entity can set up a board to decide which speech is permissible by American citizens. I know that they're pretending that it's foreigners, but we all know that's not true. It's not clear to me at this point what the punishment for wrong think is going to be in this brave new Democrat dystopia, but that really doesn't matter to me. Just the establishment of this government body is a violation of our rights as Americans. It's funny, you know, in 2020, as we were approaching the election, I didn't think the Democrats would ever dare try to steal an election. I just didn't think that that was something that they'd be crazy enough to do. I mean, sure. Politicians have broken lots of laws in the past, been corrupt in various kinds of ways, but to violate the sanctity of the election process and for such an important position as the presidency, it seemed unfathomable. And I was pretty depressed that November. But there's a better word, in fact. There's a perfect word to describe what I felt after that election. Disillusioned. Of course, the 2020 election was perfect. We're not allowed to say otherwise here on YouTube, so I guess it's completely illogical for me to have been disillusioned after that election. I should have felt pure satisfaction with such a secure and corruption-free process. And yet for some reason, for some odd reason, I was disillusioned. And you might think that after being so disillusioned that I could no longer be surprised by the depths Democrats could sink to. That there was no level of creative evil Democrats could shock me with. No amount of disrespect to our constitutional republic with which Democrats could catch me off guard. And yet here I am, 
caught off guard, surprised, shocked. To create a government department, the sole purpose of which is to openly and obviously violate the First Amendment to the Constitution, and to do it brazenly and with obvious intention, the depravity is truly astonishing. I suppose after they so viciously and unlawfully targeted January 6 protesters, nothing should surprise me. I guess that's what I get for being an optimist. There's a funny story in my naivete here. I had actually written a script almost exactly two months ago. This was a comedy script for my Mr. Pagan channel. It was called The Department of Illicit Cognition and Knowledge, or DICK for short. This was a satirical script about a government organization established by the Biden administration to censor so-called disinformation. The reason I felt confident writing this script was that it seemed inconceivable that it could ever actually happen. This is the stuff of fiction, and yet, here we are. I guess this is how the Babylon Bee feels all the time. So anyway, since the Biden administration actually established my satirical department under a slightly different name, well, the script now needs to be completely rewritten. Anyway, because Biden's Disinformation Governance Board and my Department of Illicit Cognition and Knowledge are essentially the same thing, I guess that makes Nina Jankowitz the head of this department, the head of the dick. And uh, just so that I don't end this episode on a sophomoric joke, allow me to communicate one last observation. Whether or not the administration's title of Disinformation Governance Board was a serious effort at an appropriate title or another distraction like their goofy musical theater actress appointee, the title Disinformation Governance Board is, ironically, rather appropriate. Because though the name is intended to be interpreted as a board that stops disinformation, it could also be interpreted as a board that is the source of disinformation. Well, that's it for me, and remember, it's not that our liberal friends are ignorant, it's just that they're dystopian-level fiction crazy. Good night. Woo! All right, done. You know, someone very profoundly once said that if fascism ever comes to America, it'll come in the name of liberalism. And what is fascism? Fascism is private ownership, but total government control and regulation. Well, isn't this the liberal philosophy? The conservative, so-called, is the one that says, less government, get off my back, get out of my pocket. And let me have more control of my own destiny. So this is uh, one o'clock in the morning. Don't we all vote at one o'clock in the morning? <laughs> right, right, right. Well, you've got, you've got them on videotape. You've got 2,000 people who are committing felonies. Right. It's just sickening to me. This is jaw-dropping. What you showed is frightening. But you are talking, what, 5% of America? Less. Less than 5%, okay. So case closed. Sorry, gentlemen, lady. Case closed. Right. I love this movie. Mr. Reagan. So there is this movie that everybody is talking about in conservative circles, 2000 Mules. This is a movie about the 2020 presidential election produced by Dinesh D'Souza. But because the wonderful authoritarians over at YouTube want to protect the public from disinformation about the 2020 election, they have seen fit to censor anything to do with Dinesh D'Souza's new film. And good for them. We shouldn't be allowed to question the most secure election in history. I mean, who do we think we are? So I'm not going to make a video about that film. Instead, I'm going to review a totally different film. This film is called 2000 Donkeys. And this is a film produced by the brilliant filmmaker Delish D'Souza. And despite sharing a last name, no relation to Dinesh. Now this other film, 2000 Donkeys, is a documentary about a political event known as the Great Selection of the Executive, a political event that occurred on the planet of Turth a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. So look, I'm just gonna come right out and say it. 
yes, this movie presents enough evidence to show without a shadow of a doubt that there was tally doctoring. There was tally doctoring in the great selection of 2020 on the planet Earth in the unified states of Amercaria between the incumbent executive, Donaldus J. Trumpius, and the challenger, Bo Jiden. The selection was swindled. How does Delish D'Souza's film prove this? Spoiler alert in one moment. Now, before I let the cat out of the bag here, because I am going to reveal exactly what Delish presents in the film. But before I do that, I just want to say that you must watch this film. If you haven't seen it, find a way to do so. There are about a million little details that I'm going to be missing out in this short little video, and you're only going to get those by watching the full film. I'd also like to say that films like these are a serious investment by the filmmakers, and it's important to support work that you want to see done. I have been a fan of Delish D'Souza for a very long time now, and I've loved all of his films. He's an incredibly important voice and we should support him. Okay, now that's out of the way, let's dig in. The primary evidence in the film is revealed through a single interview with Catherine Engelbrecht and Greg Phillips of an organization called True the Vote. Hi, I'm Catherine Engelbrecht, founder and president of True the Vote. It's this organization that investigated this particular method of tally doctoring, and the entire film really revolves around the revelations and evidence provided by this group. And these guys have done an amazing job. The way in which the tallies were doctored, as revealed in this film, is that illegally filled out tally documents were illegally dropped into ballot boxes in major cities throughout the unified states of Mercuria. The tallies themselves were likely legitimate, official papers officially printed and assigned to legitimate voters. However, there are many voters who have little or no capacity to vote or are easily manipulated. Are you surprised that she voted in February 2021? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> But I was surprised to hear that she voted in the last presidential election. Much to my surprise, she had voted for the last, off and on for the last 10 years. They make you vote. They make you vote here? So how do they make you vote? Because I didn't want to vote and they told me I had to. What happens is you have staff in those nursing homes. Sometimes they are activists politically they get these individuals registered to vote, or if they're already registered to vote, they will request absentee ballots in their names, sometimes forging their signatures, and then filling out the ballots for them. What about homeless shelters? The problem there is that it's very easy, I think, for them to be intimidated and coerced. The largest election fraud case the U.S. Justice Department ever prosecuted, they were paying homeless individuals to cast ballots the way they wanted them to cast ballots. This kind of manipulation and tally theft is illegal. Now, the reason that the film is called 2000 Donkeys is that voters are supposed to submit tallies on their own. And yet the good people over at True the Vote discovered through cell phone tracking data that there were people who visited ballot boxes dozens of times and they found video evidence that supported this tracking data and even showed that each of these so-called donkeys were stuffing the ballot boxes with multiple tallies each time they visited one of these drop boxes. Some of these donkeys wore gloves to hide their fingerprints and others took pictures of the work in order to get paid. Why were these people wearing surgical gloves? Why were they going to a variety of different drop boxes? Why were they taking pictures of the drops? Why were they doing this in the dead of night? I'm sure there are honest explanations for everything here, but just in case, maybe let's look into it. Delish D'Souza isn't really focused so much on exactly how these phony tally forms were produced in this 
documentary, although he does cover it. What Delish is focused on here is the method by which these ballots are distributed to the various drop boxes. And the reason why this is the focus of the documentary is because this is where we have hard evidence. You have the cell phone tracking data and you have the video surveillance evidence. This is clear as day. And the reason that this is such a huge deal is because this is evidence of widespread tally doctoring. Deceptocrats have always maintained that there was no widespread tally doctoring. Baseless allegations of widespread voter fraud. No evidence of widespread election fraud. There was no evidence of widespread fraud. There is no indication of any widespread fraud. No widespread voter fraud. No evidence of widespread voter fraud. That's the word that they love to use widespread. And what they mean by that is there was no centrally organized doctoring operation. There was no interconnected group of conspirators with some supervillain at the top, generals down on the next tier, lieutenants, and then all the way down to the foot soldiers. An organized, efficient, and effective network with the sole purpose of flipping the selection in favor of Bo Jiden. They contend that such a network never existed, and so the people of the Unified States of America enjoyed the most secure selection in history. But why does it matter if the tally doctoring was widespread? If enough tallies were doctored to flip the selection, shouldn't that nullify the vote, whether it was a massive centrally organized operation or not? Well, perhaps, but a lot of little localized operations is a lot harder to prove than one big massive national one. And the Decepticrats are banking on the Mercurian people accepting the idea that a little tally doctoring always occurs here and there by both parties, and that these rare and localized instances are, are like petty theft. It's wrong, okay, but it doesn't actually amount to anything worth concerning ourselves over. They're trying to convince the Mercurian people that unless the doctoring was, quote, widespread, unless there was a top-down organizational effort to doctor the tally nationally, well, then it doesn't count. And they're insisting that no widespread doctoring occurred. But that is precisely what this film shows. There was widespread tally doctoring, and it was enough to completely flip the selection. Shockingly, even this narrow way of looking at just our 2,000 mules in these swing states gives Trump the win with 279 electoral votes to Biden's 259. On top of the evidence provided in this film, which is damning, I've always maintained that several tally doctoring methods were used in the 2020 great selection. These methods may have been different from place to place, perhaps tailored to the specific needs of each region. And I still think this is true. Some have speculated that the tally machines were doctored, that there was hacking from Tunisia, that there were shenanigans at the tally counting facilities, that some tallies were fixed when the count was inexplicably stopped in the middle of the night, that some of the tallies for Donaldist J. Trumpius were literally just thrown away, etc., etc., etc. There seems to be no end to the speculation of how it was done, but most Mercurians agree something fishy happened. According to a Rasmussen poll conducted just one month after the great selection, 30% of Deceptocrat voters said that they believe the selection was swindled. Strangely, only 75% of Freepublicans said that they thought the selection was swindled, which, I mean, I'm frankly shocked by that number. Why is it not like 100%, right? But in any case, I think that the 30% number among Decepticrats, that's actually low. This was a simple poll. There was no effort to try to figure out what people really believe. They just asked random Americans, what do you think? And the Decepticrats, have a strong incentive to lie about this, either to the pollsters or to themselves. 
they do not want to admit that the selection was crooked. So, like I said, I think that the 30% number is probably low. The point is, even the Decepticrats think that the selection was swindled. So, you know, the fact that any speculation about this is treated with such hostility and censored so strongly by social media and mainstream news, it's absurd. And not only is it absurd, but it actually reinforces the idea that there's some kind of concerted effort to cover up a corrupted selection. Delish D'Souza does a great job of including examples of various other kinds of tally doctoring that were likely employed in the 2020 selection. The doctoring that we've discovered evidence for may only represent a small percentage of a much bigger amount of doctoring going on. You know what, let me describe another method that I've heard described to me, a method of tally doctoring. The great state of Fornicatia <laughs> is the state just south of Oregonia on the west coast of the Unified States of Amercria. What they did in Fornicatia was that they brought in all these illegal immigrants and they put them in a big room, maybe a boardroom, maybe a factory, maybe a gymnasium, maybe it was an old barn, who knows? Anyway, they get all these illegal immigrants to fill out tallies and then they submit them as mail-in tallies under the names of known Republican voters. But of course, the tallies are all filled out for the Decepticrat candidate, in this case, Navin Grusom. So, but then what happens when the known Republican citizen goes and tries to vote for real? Well, this happens. We spoke with several concerned voters here in the West San Fernando Valley who believe something wonky had been going on at places like El Camino Real Charter High School in Woodland Hills. Several people tell us they showed up to vote this morning in the special California governor recall election and were told that computers showed they had already cast their ballots. Got there at 1030, gave her this and she scanned it and said, you voted. I said, no, I haven't. And she said, this has been happening all morning. The man next to me was arguing the same thing. I did the provisional ballot and I, I'm just really angry. And I saw two women walking toward me as I left. And I said, don't be surprised if they tell you you've already voted. And she said, they've already done that. Well, I asked the couple, are you in by any chance Republicans? She said, yes. And I said, well, so am I. And so are the two friends that had the problem at VFW. Makes you suspicious. I would think so. <laughs> and still, I'd like to know how I voted. They're told that they've already voted using mail-in and they can't vote twice. And if they make a fuss, well, they're given something called a provisional ballot. And they're told that eventually both tallies are going to go through the system and they will eventually be looked at by some kind of an official at some point. And this official will decide which tally signature matches the one on record. That is, they get to determine which is the legitimate tally. Now, what should happen is that the phony mail-in tally should be discarded and the in-person provisional tally should be entered into the record. That should be the vote that counts. What actually happens is that the in-person tallies are never examined at all. They're simply thrown out. The mail-in tallies, the ones filled out by the illegal immigrants for the Decepticrat candidate, these are the ones used. Now, like I said, I've heard that this is how it's done in Fornicatia, and this may be the same method that's used elsewhere if Decepticrats control the tally count. I don't know. Even if we just take the true the vote method of phony tally distribution into consideration, the method discussed in the film, these votes alone were enough to flip the tally. There have been several articles intending to debunk 
Delish D'Souza's new film. The primary argument seems to be that although the evidence of tally doctoring in the film does appear to be solid, nobody can tell from the video evidence or the location tracking data which candidate these doctored tallies were for. And so, for all we know, they might be tallies doctored in favor of the incumbent, Donaldus J. Trumpius. Yeah, right. We all know who these tallies were for. But annoyingly, they're right. As a matter of hard evidence, enough to unquestionably prove that the selection was unlawfully purloined, proof convincing enough such that Bo Jiden would have to be removed and Donaldus J. Trumpius reinstated, well, this doesn't cut it. Because technically, what these critics are saying is true. We can't see who those illegally cast tallies were for. And after the tally papers are removed from their envelopes, there's no way to ever check the signatures. No way to figure out which of the tallies are phony and which are real. So all the evidence is gone, right? There's no way to prove that all those phony tallies were for Bo Jiden. Except there is one way. Unfortunately, it's a way that requires a lot of work and a desire for justice by the Justice Department or the FBI or some other appropriate organization. And I'm not sure that that's a desire that they have. But what is this one way? Well, an official investigation must be opened. The owners of the phones that were tracked, the 2000 donkeys, those people must be identified by investigators and these donkeys must be interrogated. The investigation must then move up the chain until everybody involved is uncovered. Then everybody involved in the plot must be charged and sentenced. But also given the opportunity to enjoy some degree of leniency if they cooperate. And by cooperating, they must be willing to divulge the answer to that critical question, who were these tallies meant to help? Because if they were all meant to help Bo Jiden, and we all know that they were, then we will have solid testimonial evidence that the selection was swindled. But this, of course, is just a crazy fiction. The story of the planet Turth, and something that happened a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Well, that's it for me. Now go watch Dinesh D'Souza's new film, 2000 Mules. And remember, it's totally unrelated to the film that I'm talking about in this review, 2000 Donkeys by Delish D'Souza. Totally unrelated. Good night. And this is a film produced by the brilliant filmmaker Delish D'Souza. <laughs> this film. <laughs> How does Delish D'Souza's film prove this? Oh man, every time. Every time. Okay. How does Delish D'Souza's. Man. How does Delish D'Souza's film prove this? <laughs> Delish. Oh God, it messed me up. The trouble with our liberal friends is not that they're ignorant. It's just that they know so much that isn't so. Now... Mr. President, in talking about the continuing recession tonight, you have blamed mistakes of the past, and you have blamed the Congress. Does any of the blame belong to you? Yes, because for many years I was a Democrat. <laughs> we're forgetting ourselves as black people at, while we're here in this, this hemisphere. I'm about to read some information to you, and I'm going to get into the main portion of the story, which is have they created a monster? And when I say have they created a monster, what I'm talking about is has the white man, has the European created a monster? Right? And who's their monster? What, what monster did they create? The American Negro. We're their monster. And I finally figured that out. The mainstream media caused the New York subway shooting. 
Mr. Reagan. I'm sure you're all aware of the vile, racist black man who went on a shooting spree in a New York City subway car, firing 33 times at passengers crowded into that train car. Police say this video, also part of the investigation, shows the suspect entering King's Highway subway station prior to the shooting. The attack on the Manhattan-bound end train unfolding at 8.26 a.m. as the train approached the 36th Street station. Authorities say James put on a gas mask, took a canister out of a bag and opened it. This video shot by one of the passengers showing the smoke beginning to fill the train car. Then the suspect opened fire. He was sitting in the back corner of the second car and he popped uh, the smoke grenade. And we have one witness who says, uh, what, what did you do? He goes, oops, and then he pops the two, brandishes the firearm and fires 33 times. I saw people with blood all over their clothes. I saw people, their people literally on top of each other, crowding over each other, trying to get out of the way, trying to get, not be seen. People are just, just panicking. And why attack all of these people? Well, because this man is a vicious racist. There's a whole lot of white motherfuckers that interpret that shit some other way, including the story of Ham and the fact that Ham was cursed uh, by God with blackness. They see that as God cursed you to be black and to be a slave. They still believe that to this day. What makes you a N-word? The fact that you have a desire and you have an appetite for a European way of life and living and you're not a European. You're a crime against nature. You're a crime against life. This is why you exist as a result of criminal acts against nature and against humanity. You're a black European where there are no black Europeans. You want to be just like the motherfucker made you a slave. But makes you still a slave. And I these white motherfuckers want to kill you. They're going to they have to get rid of you. You're direct competition for value, resource, and real estate. We could have power. We could have control. And the one only example that I have to show you is someone like Malcolm X. But you'll never stop being the N-word. As long as you live in a society unchanged and you haven't done a factory reset on your humanity and, and, and embraced your Africanness, then you, you, you can never stop being the N-word. These people haven't changed. They want you to believe that you're a part of society. They need you to believe that you have some control and have some power here when you have none. You're a domesticated savage. That's what I call it, a domesticated savage. There's no way Africans and Europeans would ever interact with each other except as a result of a criminal act. A mule is a mule. He may not want to be called it, but that's what he is. That's you turning, you're your human mule. A mix between different races of people that shouldn't ha should never happen. It's unnatural and it's sick. But time will tell. Time will tell how bad it's going to be. How much of this nation is going to go, uh, the white population's nation, is going to go toward fascism, the outright fascism. They're going to cordon off their areas. Well, your black ass is not going. If you go anywhere near where they live, your ass is dead. Or they can re-enslave you by locking you up. Just for YouTube's edification, I am not including clips of this man saying racist things because I am promoting these racist things or condoning these racist things. I am, in fact, condemning these things and showing the world how awful certain people can be and how we have to end this evil disease of racism. I have to put that disclaimer because YouTube will censor this and say that I am promoting hate speech or something like that. Sadly, Elon Musk has not yet bought YouTube.
But listen, this intense hatred, this vile racism, I believe, is the fault of the mainstream media. Now, the mainstream media has been reluctant to report the New York shooting for what it is, a racist attack. And they are not reporting this, even though they are well aware of the attacker's racist tirades. In one video posted the day before the shooting, he allegedly said, I can say I wanted to kill people. I wanted to watch people die. And in another video, it's clear his attention had turned to NYC, allegedly saying, Mr. Mayor, I'm a victim of your mental health program. I'm 63, now full of hate, full of anger, and full of bitterness. But you know, it's not surprising that the mainstream media would be reluctant to acknowledge the racist motivations for this attack. For one thing, the media have maintained a fiction about America for decades now. The fiction that white Americans are racist and that ethnic minorities and black Americans specifically are the victims of that racism. The reality of the subway shooting exposes a counter narrative. It exposes the truth that it may not in fact, be white Americans that are the dangerous racists, but black Americans. The media doesn't want us to believe that. You know, it's a, it's a kind of a bizarre thing, but I watched a couple of episodes of a, a, sh a game show called The Weakest Link uh, earlier this week, and I noticed a funny trend. Often when white women had to vote off black contestants, they did so with a strong reluctance. They were unusually apologetic. Trey. I mean, I kept seeing this happen, and I thought, that is strange. It's strange that they feel this, this great sympathy for the black contestants, specifically the black men. And what it looked like to me is that they have white guilt. And this is something that I thought that we were kind of over in America, but I guess not. But why would we be over it? The media is constantly telling white people that we are the problem, that we're perpetuating systemic racism, either intentionally or unintentionally. And they tell us that we need to be quiet and listen. And they tell us that we need to take a knee and constantly apologize and, you know, all that crap. And of course, there are gullible idiots who are going to fall for this and they're going to believe it. And you know, it's not just the media, it's schools. School teachers from elementary schools to colleges basically teach white students that they are bad, they're the bad race, right? And black students are good, they're the good race. Much of America was literally built on your, your black back, was literally built on slavery. Texas school books are now trying to make it sound not quite so bad. And that means that these crackers are unrepentant. They do not see your enslavement as something bad. They see it as something beneficial to you as some sort of sick and perverted way. And if they could put your black ass back in chains and shackles, they would do that in a heartbeat and not think about it. Today, we call this critical race theory, but the truth is that even before critical race theory became the popular name for it, this kind of teaching already existed. And we conservatives often voice our concerns about what this does to white students, how unfair it is, how cruel it is to tell students that they are intrinsically bad. And we also complain about the absurdity of this kind of instruction, how it's just plain incorrect and how it's fundamentally racist. But what we don't tend to talk about is what this kind of teaching does to black students. And we never address how the mainstream media has been radicalizing violent black extremists. Tucker Carlson actually pointed out the other day on his show that this used to be something that the FBI tracked violent black extremists, but not anymore. Why not? Well, the FBI 
doesn't want to be called racist. Being called racist is more of a concern to the FBI than stopping black domestic terrorists from murdering innocent people. <laughs> this is how powerful the media message has become. To the FBI, domestic terrorism is less scary than being called racist. But you know what? Let's talk about it here. I mean, I've discussed this before on my show, but my show is the only place that I've seen this discussed at all. But let's discuss how the mainstream media is radicalizing violent black extremists, because they are. There are various kinds of violent black extremists. The New York subway shooter was radicalized in isolation, as far as I can tell. A lot of black men historically were radicalized by groups like the Black Panthers in the 1960s, and a lot of them today are radicalized by the Nation of Islam. But all of them are getting a supporting narrative from the mainstream media. The white man is the cause of all of your problems. You are an amazing, perfect person. Any failure in your life is entirely due to the oppression of the evil white man. Well, of course, some black men are becoming radicalized. Of course they are with that message. What's more, the media hides stories about black people murdering white children. They hide stories about black teenagers burning a white man alive. Meanwhile, they sensationalize every instance of a black man being attacked by a white man in America, even if it isn't true. The Washington Free Beacon has just conducted a study of 1,100 articles that report on homicides in America. And they discovered that when the suspect was white, the race of the suspect was mentioned 23% of the time. The gunman is described as a white male in his mid-30s. Police say a 21-year-old white male has been charged with four counts of murder. Connor Betts, a 24-year-old white male. Right now, the sheriff says that there is one suspect, a white male, who is dead at the scene. But when the suspect was black, the race was mentioned 6% of the time. They were shot down by a former co-worker with a grudge, a man who'd been on air, trusted by the television audience. The homeless man wanted in the stabbing death of UCLA grad student Brianna Kupfer is under arrest. Suspected killer Sean Laval Smith has a rap sheet filled with at least 11 arrests in North and South Carolina and Los Angeles. I'll say that again. If a suspect is white, he's mentioned 23% of the time. If a suspect is black, he's mentioned 6% of the time. Suspects that are, are white are often mentioned. Suspects that are black are almost never mentioned. Not only that, but when the murderer's race was mentioned in an article, the race of the white murderer is almost always mentioned at the top of the article, while the black murderer's race would almost always be buried at the bottom. So yeah, this kind of editorializing is of course going to radicalize violent black extremists. At the very least, it's going to perpetuate the illusion that black Americans are all good victims. And it's those evil racist whites that we really have to be afraid of. This is a lie. The truth is, and I say it all the time on this show, but I'm gonna say it once again, the truth is that we do have a racism problem in America. But it's not white racism against black Americans. It's black racism against white Americans. And there are tons of cases like the New York shooting. I've reported on this stuff several times on my show. This is not an isolated incident. It seems that black men are constantly being radicalized to violence against white Americans. It's not just becoming a real problem in America. It's been a real problem in America. And yet it's gone almost entirely unrecognized. This is not the only problem that stems from black racism against white people in America. Yes, it's the most horrific, and it's becoming a bigger and bigger problem all the time, and we really do have to deal with it, but this racism also causes a lot of problems for black Americans. Because how limited 
do you make yourself? If many of the business owners that can hire you are white and you hate white people, how limited are you making yourself by refusing to speak proper English because it's quote, too white? How limited are you making the next generation of black Americans by saying that studying is something that white people do? Black America is destroying itself through racism. Black Americans are limiting each other with this insidious racism, spreading this myth of systemic racism against black people in America. And the mainstream media is perpetuating these myths. Worse, they're radicalizing violent black extremism. The New York City subway shooting was the result of evil racist propaganda against white people, perpetuated by universities, by the New York Times, by CNN, by MSNBC, and by the rest of the leftist mainstream media. So it's good that CNN is dying, but this left-wing propaganda has not died. And so it's our job as conservatives to combat this fictional narrative and instead express the truth about America. We need to stop accepting this absurd idea that white people are all guilty of something. No, we need to stand against this. White Americans must demand respect from academia. We must demand respect from the media. We can no longer accept that every movie and TV show depicts white Americans as the bad guy. We can no longer accept this fictional narrative on CNN and MSNBC that white Americans are oppressive racists. And we cannot allow our universities to indoctrinate students with anti-white racism. White Americans are, by and large, good people. And it's time the world started to acknowledge that. Well, that's it for me. And remember, it's not that our liberal friends are ignorant. It's just they know so much that is not so. Good night. I am eternally optimistic, and I happen to believe that we've made great progress from the days when I was young and when this country didn't even know it had a racial problem. I know those things can grow out of despair in an inner city, uh, when there's hopelessness at, at home, lack of work and so forth.